Hi guys, don't forget you can follow me on my website at nonstopaudiopodshow.com and you can email me at nonstopaudiopodshow at gmail.com for your requests. Thanks a lot and enjoy the podcast. Side 7 Well, let's get back then, said George. But I simply must have a rest first. Tinny, I shall push you into the water if you keep sitting on my legs. There was a sudden splash. George sat up in alarm. Timmy was not on the raft. He was swimming in the water, looking very pleased with himself. There, he thought he'd rather jump in than be pushed, said Dick, grinning at George. You pushed him in, said George, looking fierce. I didn't, said Dick. He just took a header. He's having a jolly good time. I say, what about putting a rope round him and getting him to pull us to shore? It would save an awful lot of paddling. George was just about to say what she thought of that idea when she caught Dick's sly grin. She kicked out at him. Don't keep baiting me, Dick. I'll push you in in a minute. Like to try? asked Dick at once. Come on. I'd like a wrestle to see who'd go into the water first. George, of course, always rose to a challenge. She never could resist one. She was up in a moment and fell on Dick, who very nearly went overboard at once. Shut up, you two, said Julian crossly. We haven't got a change of clothing, you know that. And I don't want to take you back with bronchitis or pneumonia. Stop it, George. George recognised the tone in his voice, and she stopped. She ran her hand through her short curls and gave a sudden grin. All right, teacher, she said, and sat down meekly. She picked up her paddle. Julian picked up his. We'll get back, he said. The sun's sinking low. It seems to slide down the sky at a most remarkable speed in October. They took a very wet Timmy on board and began to paddle back. Anne thought it was a truly lovely evening. She gazed dreamily round as she paddled. The lake was a wonderful dark blue, and the ripples they made turned to silver as they ran away from the raft. Two moorhens said, Crick, crick, and swam round the raft in curiosity, their heads bobbing like clockwork. Anne gazed over the tops of the trees that grew at the lakeside. The sky was turning pink. Away in the distance, on a high slope, about a mile away, she saw something that interested her. It looked like a high stone. She pointed at it. Look, Julian, she said. What's that stone? Is it a boundary mark or something? It must be very big. Julian looked where she was pointing. Where? he said. Oh, that. I can't imagine what it is. It looks like a very tall stone, said Dick, suddenly catching sight of it too. A tall stone, repeated Anne, wondering where she had heard that before. A tall... Oh, of course! It was printed on that plan, wasn't it? On the piece of paper Dick was given. Tall stone. Don't you remember? Yes, so it was, said Dick and he stared at the faraway stone monument with interest. Then 
As the raft swung onwards, high trees hid the stone. It was gone. Tall stone, said Julian. It may be only a coincidence, of course. It wants a bit of thinking about, though. Funny we should suddenly spot it. Would the loot be buried there? asked George doubtfully. Julian shook his head. Oh no, he said. It is probably hidden in some position explained by that mysterious map. Paddle up, everyone. We really must get back. Chapter Seventeen, Tit for Tat. When they arrived at the boathouse, there was no sign of Maggie or Dick, but their boat was in the shed, tied up in front of the other two, where it had been before. They're back all right," said Julian. "I wonder where they are. Don't let's drag this clumsy, heavy raft into the boathouse. I don't feel as if I've any strength left in my arms. Let's drag it under a bush and tie it there." They thought this a good idea. They pulled the raft up to some thick bushes and tied it firmly to a root that was sticking out of the ground. Then they made their way to the ruined house, keeping a sharp lookout for Maggie and Dick. There was still no sign of them. They went in. Timmy first. He didn't growl, so they knew it was safe. He led the way to the cellar steps. Then he growled. "What's up?" said Julian. "Are they down there, Tim?" Timmy ran straight down the steps into the cellar room. He growled again, but it was not the fierce growl he always gave when he wanted to warn that enemies or strangers were near. It was an angry, annoyed growl, as if something was wrong. I expect dear Maggie and Dirty Dick have been down here and found out where our headquarters are," said Julian, following Timmy down the steps. He switched on his torch. The beds of heather and bracken were there as they had left them, and their mats and rugs and rucksacks. Nothing seemed to have been disturbed. Julian lit the candles on the mantelpiece, and the dark little underground room came to life at once. "What's the matter with Timmy?" asked George, coming down into the room. "He's still growling." "Timmy, what's up?" "I expect he can smell that the others have been down here," said Dick. "Look at him sniffing all round." It's quite clear that someone has been here. Anyone hungry? Asked Anne. I could do with some cake and biscuits. Right, said Julian, and opened the cupboard where they had put the food they had bought. There was none there, except for the crockery and one or two odds and ends that had been in the cupboard before. There was nothing. The bread had gone, the biscuits, the chocolate, everything. Blow," said Julian angrily. "Look at that! The beasts! They've taken all our food, every bit. Not even a biscuit left. We were mad not to think they might do that. Clever of them," said Dick. "They know we can't stay here long without food. It's a good way of chasing us out. It's too late to go and get any tonight, anyway. And if we go tomorrow for some, they'll do what they have come to do in their own good time." When we're not here, everyone felt distinctly down in the dumps. They were hungry and tired, and a good meal would have made all the difference. Anne sank down on her bed of heather and sighed. "I wish I'd left some chocolate in my rucksack," she said, "but I didn't leave any there at all."
And poor Tim, he's hungry too. Look at him sniffing in the cupboard and looking round at George. Tim, there's nothing for you. The cupboard is bare. Where have those two wretches gone? Suddenly said Julian fiercely. I'll tick them off. I'll tell them what I think of people who come and rifle cupboards and take away all the food. Woof! Said Timmy in full agreement. Julian went angrily up the stairs. He wondered again where Maggie and Dirty Dick were. He went to the empty doorway and looked out. Then he saw where they were. Two small tents had been put up under some thickly growing trees. So, that's where the two were going to sleep. He debated whether or not to go and tell them what he thought of people who stole food. He decided that he would. But when he got over to the tents with Timmy, there was no one there. Rugs were laid inside, and there was a primus stove and a kettle and other odds and ends. At the back of one tent was a pile of something covered by a cloth. Julian had a good look into each tent, and then went to see if he could find out where Maggie and Dirty Dick had gone. He saw them at last walking through the trees. They must have gone for an evening stroll, he thought. They didn't come back to the tents, but sat down by the lake. Julian gave up the thought of tackling them and went back to the others. Timmy was left behind, snuffling about happily. They've got tents, Julian informed the others when he was back in the cellar room again. They're obviously staying put till they've got what they came for. They aren't in the tents. They're out by the lake. Where's Timmy? asked George. You shouldn't have left him behind, Jew. They might do something to him. Here he is, said Julian, as a familiar noise of claws clattering on the floor came to their ears. Timmy came down the stone steps and ran to George. He's got something in his mouth, said George in surprise. Timmy dropped it into her lap. She gave a yell. It's a tin of shortbread. Where did he get it from? Julian began to laugh. He must have taken it from one of the tents, he said. I saw something covered up with a cloth in one tent. Their food, I imagine. Well, well, tit for tat. They took our food, and now Timmy is taking theirs. Fair exchange is no robbery, grinned Dick. Serves them right. I say, Tim's gone again. He was back in a minute with something large and paper covered. It was a big cake. The four roared with laughter. Timmy, you're a wonder. You really are. Timmy was pleased at this praise. Off he went again, and brought back a cardboard box, in which was a fine pork pie. The children could hardly believe their eyes. It's a miracle," said Anne. Just as I had made up my mind to starve for hours, a pork pie of all things. Let's have some. Well, I have no second thoughts about it," said Julian firmly. They took our food, and we deserve some of theirs. Good gracious! Don't say Tim's gone again. He had. He was enjoying himself thoroughly. He arrived this time with a packet of ham. And the children couldn't imagine how he had stopped himself from eating some on the way. Fancy carrying it in his mouth and not even tasting a bit," said Dick. "Tim's a better person than I am. I'd just have to have had a lick."
I say, we ought to stop him now, said Julian, as Timmy ran up the steps again, his tail wagging nineteen to the dozen. We're getting a bit too much in exchange. Oh, do see what he brings back this time, begged Anne, then stop him. He came back carrying an old flower bag in which something had been packed. Timmy carried it cleverly by the neck so that nothing had fallen out. George undid the bag. Homemade scones and buns, she said. Timmy, you are very, very clever, and you shall have a wonderful supper. But you are not to go and take any more things, because we've got enough. See? No more. Lie down and be a good dog and eat your supper. Timmy was quite willing. He wolfed ham and scones and a slice of cake, and then he went up into the kitchen, jumped into the sink, and lapped the water lying there. He then jumped down and went to the doorway to look out. He barked. Then he growled loudly. The children rushed up the stone steps at once. Outside, at a safe distance, was Dirty Dick. Have you been taking anything of ours? he shouted. No more than you have been taking of ours, shouted back Julian. Fair exchange, you know, and all that. How dare you go into our tents, raged the man, his shock of hair making him look very peculiar in the twilight. We didn't. The dog fetched and carried for us, said Julian. And don't you come any nearer. He's just longing to fly at you. And I warn you, he'll be on guard tonight, so don't try any funny tricks. He's as strong and savage as a lion. Grrr, said Timmy, so fiercely that the man started back in fright. He went off without another word, shaking with anger. Julian and the others went back to finish a very delicious supper. Timmy went with them, but he planted himself at the top of the cellar steps. Not a bad place for him to be in tonight, said Julian. I don't trust that couple an inch. We can give him one of our blazers to lie on. I say, this has boiled up into quite an adventure, hasn't it? It seems frightful to think we'll be back at school on Tuesday. We must find the loot first, said Anne. We really must. Let's get out that plan again, Jew. Let's make sure that tall stone is marked on it. They got it out and put it on the table. They bent over it once more. Yes, tall stone is marked at the end of one of the lines, said Julian. Tock Hill is at the end of the opposite line. Let's get the map and see if there is a Tock Hill. They got the map and studied it. Anne suddenly put her finger down on it. There it is, on the opposite side of the lake from where we saw the tall stone. Tock Hill on one side, Tall Stone on the other. Surely that means something. It does, of course, said Julian. It is bearings given to show the whereabouts of the hidden goods. There are four bearings given. Tall Stone, Tock Hill, Chimney and Steeple. Listen, said Dick suddenly. Listen, I know how to read that map. It's easy. The others looked at him in surprise and doubt. Read it then, said Julian. Tell us what it all means. I don't believe you can.
Chapter 18. A very exciting time. Let's take all the clues we know, said Dick, looking excited. Two trees. That's here. Gloomy water. That's where the hidden stuff must be. Saucy Jane. It's a boat that contains the stuff hidden somewhere on gloomy water. Go on, said Julian, as Dick paused to think. Maggie is the next clue. Well, she's here, probably an old friend of Naylor's, said Dick. She knows all the clues too. He jabbed his finger at the piece of paper. Now for these clues. Listen. We saw tall stone when we were out on the lake, didn't we? Very well. There must be some spot on the lake where we can see not only tall stone, but also Tock Hill, Chimney and Steeple, whatever they are. There must be only one spot from which we can see all those four things at the same time. And that's the spot to hunt in for the treasure. There was an astonished silence after this. Julian drew a long breath and clapped Dick on the back. Of course! What idiots we were not to see it before! The saucy Jane must be somewhere on or in the lake at the spot where all four clues are seen at the same time. We've only got to explore and find out. Yes, but don't forget that Maggie and Dirty Dick know what these clues mean too. They'll be there first if they possibly can, said Dick. And what's more, if they get the goods, we can't do anything about it. We're not the police. They'll be off and away with their find and disappear completely. Everyone began to feel intensely excited. I think we'd better set off early tomorrow morning, said Julian, as soon as it's light. Otherwise, Maggie and Dick will get in first. I wish to goodness we had an alarm clock. We'll go on the raft and we'll paddle about till we see Tall Stone again. Then we'll keep that in sight till we see Tock Hill, whatever that is, said Dick. And once we've spotted that, we'll keep both Tall Stone and Tock Hill in sight and paddle round to find out where we can see a steeple and then a chimney. I should think that would be the one chimney left on Two Trees House. Did you notice there is just one left, sticking up high? Yes, I noticed, said Anne. What a clever way to hide anything, Dick. Nobody could possibly know what the clues meant unless they knew something of the secret. This is awfully exciting. They talked about it for some time, and then Julian said they really must try to go to sleep, or they would never wake up early enough in the morning. They settled down in their beds of heather and bracken. Timmy lay on Julian's blazer on the top step of the stairs leading down to the cellar room. He seemed to think it was quite a good idea to sleep there that night. They were all tired, and they fell asleep very quickly. Nothing disturbed them in the night. The fox came again and looked into the old house, but Timmy didn't stir. He merely gave a small growl, and the fox fled, his bushy tail spread behind him. The morning came, and daylight crept in at the burnt-out doorway and windows. Timmy stirred and went to the door. He looked towards the two tents. No one was about there. He went to the cellar steps and clattered down, 
waking Dick and Julian at once. What's the time? said Julian, remembering immediately that he was to wake early. Half past seven. Wake up, everyone. It's daylight. We've heaps to do. They washed hurriedly, combed out their hair, cleaned their teeth, and tried to brush down their clothes. Anne got ready some snacks for them ham, scones, and a piece of shortbread each. They all had a drink of water, and then they were ready to go. There was no sign of anyone near the two tents. Good, said Julian. We'll be there first. They dragged the raft out and got onto it, taking up the paddles. Then off they went, Timmy too, all feeling tremendously excited. We'll paddle out to where we think we were last night, when Anne caught sight of tall stone, said Julian. So they paddled valiantly, though their arms were stiff with yesterday's paddling, and it was really very painful to use the tired muscles all over again. They paddled out to the middle of the lake and looked for tall stone. It didn't seem anywhere to be seen. They strained their eyes for it, but for a long time it was not to be spotted at all. Then Dick gave a cry. It's just come into sight. Look, when we passed those tall trees on the bank over there, tall stone came into view. It was behind them before that. Good, said Julian. Now, I'm going to stop paddling and keep tall stone in sight. If it goes out of sight, I'll tell you, and you must back paddle. Dick, can you possibly paddle and look out for something that could be Tock Hill on the opposite side? I daren't take my eyes off tall stone in case it disappears. Right, said Dick, and paddled while he looked earnestly for Tock Hill. Got it, he said suddenly. It must be it. Look, over there, a funny little hill with a pointed top. Julian, can you still see tall stone? Yes, said Julian. Keep your eyes on Tock Hill. Now it's up to the girls. George, paddle away. And see if you can spot steeple. I can see it now already," said George. And for one moment, the boys took their eyes off tall stone and top hill and looked where George pointed. They saw the steeple of a faraway church glinting in the morning sun. Good, good, good," said Julian. Now, Anne, look for chimney. Look down towards the end of the lake where the house is. Can you see its one chimney? Not quite," said Anne. "Paddle just a bit to the left. The left," I said. "George, yes, yes, I can see the one chimney. Stop paddling, everyone. We're here." They stopped paddling, but the raft drifted on, and Anne lost the chimney again. They had to paddle back a bit until it came into sight. By that time, George had lost her steeple. At last, all four things were in view at once. And the raft seemed to be still and unmoving on the quiet waters of the lake. I'm going to drop something to mark the place," said Julian, still keeping his eyes desperately on tall stone. George, can you manage to watch tall stone and steeple at the same time? I simply must look what I'm doing for the moment. I'll try," said George, and fixed her eyes first on tall stone, then on steeple, then on tall stone again. Hoping and praying that neither would slip out of sight if the raft moved on the water. Julian was busy. 
He had taken his torch and his pocket knife out of his pocket and had tied them together with string. I haven't enough string, Dick, he said. You've got some, haven't you? Dick had, of course. He put his hand into his pocket, still keeping his eyes on Tock Hill, and passed his string over to Julian. Julian tied it to the end of the string that joined together the knife and torch. Then he dropped them into the water, letting out the string as they went down with their weight. The string slid through his hands. It stopped in a short while, and Julian knew that the knife and torch had reached the bed of the lake. He felt in his pockets again. He knew he had a cork somewhere that he had carved into a horse's head. He found it and tied the end of the string firmly round it. Then he dropped the cork thankfully into the water. It bobbed there, held by the string, which led right down to the knife and torch on the lake bed below. It's done, he said with a sigh of relief. Take your eyes off everything. I've marked the place now, so we don't need to glue our eyes on the four bearings. He told them how he had tied together his knife and torch and dropped them on string to the bottom of the lake and then had tied a cork to the other end so that it would bob and show them the place. They all looked at it. Jolly clever, Jew, said Dick. But once we slide away from this spot, and it would be an easy thing to do, we'd find it jolly difficult to find that cork again. Hadn't we better tie something else to it? I haven't got anything else that will float, said Julian. Have you? I have, said George, and she handed him a little wooden box. I keep the five pence pieces I collect in that, she said, putting the money into her pocket. You can have the box. It will be much easier to see than the cork. Julian tied the box to the cork. It was certainly a good deal easier to see. Fine, he said. Now we're quite all right. We must be right over the loot. They all bent over the edge of the raft and looked down, and they saw a most surprising sight. Below them, resting on the bottom of the lake, was a boat. It lay there in the shadows of the water, its outline blurred by the ripples the raft made, but quite plainly, it was a boat. The saucy Jane! said Julian, peering down, feeling amazed and awed to think that they had read the bearings so correctly that they were actually over the saucy Jane herself. The nailer must have come here with the stolen goods, got out the saucy Jane, and rowed her to this spot. He must have taken his bearings very carefully indeed, and then hold the boat so that she sank down with the loot in her. Then I suppose he swam back to shore. Most ingenious, said Dick. Really, he must be a jolly clever fellow. But I say, Julian, how on earth are we going to get the boat up? I can't imagine, said Julian. I simply can't imagine. I hadn't even thought of that. Timmy suddenly began to growl. The four looked up quickly to see why. They saw a boat coming over the water towards them, the Merry Meg with Maggie and Dirty Dick in it, and the children felt quite certain that both were reading the bearings on their piece of paper in exactly the same way as they themselves had. They were so engrossed in watching for tall stone, top hill, chimney and steeple that they took no notice of the children at all. 
I don't think they guessed for one moment that we've read the bearings and marked the place, said Julian. How wild they'll be when they find we are right over the place they're looking for. Watch out for trouble! Chapter 19 Maggie and Dick are annoyed. The boat in which Maggie and Dirty Dick were rowing went this way and that as the two searched for the same objects that the children had already spotted. The four watched them, and George put her hand on Timmy to stop him barking. The boat came nearer and nearer. Maggie was trying to keep in view two or three of the bearings at once, and her head twisted from side to side continually. The children grinned at one another. It had been hard enough for the four of them to keep all the bearings in view. It must be very difficult for Maggie, especially as Dirty Dick didn't seem to be helping very much. They heard Maggie give sharp orders as the boat swung this way and that. Then it headed for them. Dirty Dick growled something to Maggie, who had her back to them, and she turned round sharply, losing the view of the things she was looking for. Her face was full of anger when she saw the raft so near, and in the place where she wanted her boat to go. Afraid of completely losing the view of the things she was keeping her eyes on, she turned back again and hastily looked to see if Tock Hill, Tall Stone and Steeple were still all to be seen together. She said something in a furious voice to Dirty Dick, and he nodded with a sour face. The boat came nearer, and they heard Maggie say, I think I can see it now. Yes, a bit farther to the right, please. She spotted one chimney now, whispered Anne. I expect they've got all the bearings. Oh dear, the boat will bump right into us. It did. Dirty Dick rowed viciously at them, and the bows of the boat gave them a terrific jolt. Anne would have fallen into the water if Julian hadn't grabbed at her. He yelled at Dirty Dick. Look out, you ass! You nearly had us over. What on earth do you think you're doing? Get out of the way, then, growled Dirty Dick. Timmy began to bark savagely, and the boat at once drew away from the raft. There's plenty of room on this lake, shouted Julian. What do you want to come and disturb us for? We aren't doing any harm. We're going to report you to the police, called the woman, her face red with anger. Taking a raft that doesn't belong to you... Sleeping in a house where you've no right to be, and stealing our food. Don't talk nonsense, cried Julian, and don't you dare to ram us again. If you do, I'll send our dog after you. He's longing to come. Grrr, said Timmy, and showed his magnificent set of gleaming white teeth. Dirty Dick muttered something quickly to Maggie. She turned round again and called to them. Now look here, you kids, be sensible. My friend and I have come down here for a quiet weekend, and it isn't nice to find you four everywhere we go. Go back, keep out of our way, and we won't report you at all. That's a fair bargain. We won't even say anything about your stealing our food. We're going back when we think we will, answered Julian, and no threats or bargains will make any difference to us. There was a silence. Then Maggie spoke hurriedly to Dirty Dick again. He nodded. Is this your half term? she called. When do you have to go back? Tomorrow, 
said Julian. You'll be rid of us then, but we're going to enjoy ourselves on this raft while we can. There was another hurried conference between the two. Then Dirty Dick rowed round a little, and Maggie began to peer down into the water. She suddenly looked up, nodded at Dirty Dick, and he rowed away again towards the end of the lake. Not another word did the couple say. I can see what they've decided to do, said Julian in a pleased voice. They think we'll be gone by tomorrow, so they'll wait till the coast is clear, and then they'll come and collect the loot in peace. Did you see Maggie looking down into the water to spot the boat? I was afraid she would also spot our mark, the cork and the box, but she didn't. I don't know why you sound so pleased, said George. We can't get the boat up, you know that, and I don't feel pleased that we'll have to leave tomorrow and let that horrid pair collect the loot. I imagine they'll have some clever grown-up way of pulling up the boat from the bed of the lake, which they will do when we've gone tomorrow. You're not very bright today, George, said Julian, watching the boat being rowed farther and farther away. I told them we'd be gone tomorrow, hoping they would clear off and wait and leave us time to get the loot ourselves. I think we can. How? said three voices at once, and Timmy looked inquiringly at Julian too. Well, we don't need to pull up the boat, said Julian. We only want the loot. What's to prevent us from going down and getting it? I'm quite prepared to strip and dive down to the bottom there and feel about for any sack or bag or box. If I find one, I'll come up for air, borrow a bit of rope from the raft and go down again. Tie the rope to the sack and you can haul it up to the surface. Oh, Julian, it sounds so easy. But is it really? said Anne. George and Dick considered the proposal carefully. They were most impressed by Julian's idea. Well, it may turn out to be much more difficult than it sounds, but I'm jolly well going to try it, said Julian, and began to strip off his jersey. Anne felt the water. It was very cold to her warm hand. Ugh! I'd hate to dive down to the bottom of this horrid, cold, dark lake, she said. I think you're brave, Jew. Don't talk rubbish, said Julian. He was ready to go in now. He dived neatly into the water with hardly a splash. The other three craned over the edge of the raft to watch. They could see him down, deep down in the water, a ghostly figure. He stayed down such a long time that Anne got worried. He can't hold his breath all that time, she said. He can't. But Julian could. He was one of the star swimmers and divers at his school, and this was easy to him. He came up again at last and panted hard, trying to make up for holding his breath so long. The others waited patiently. At last, his breathing grew more even, and he grinned at them. Oh, that's better. Well, it's there, he said triumphantly. Is it? said everyone, thrilled. Oh, Julian! Yes, I dived right down to the boat. Almost got there with the force of my dive. Had to swim just a couple of strokes, perhaps. And there was the poor old boat, rotting to bits. And in one end is a waterproof bag, almost a sack it's so big. 
I ran my hands over it, and it's waterproof, all right, so the loot must be packed in there. Did it feel heavy? asked Dick. I gave it a tug and couldn't move it, said Julian. Either it's wedged in somehow, or is really heavy. Anyway, we can't fetch it out by diving down for it. I'll have to dive down again, fix a rope to it, then come up, and we'll give a heave ho and up she'll come. Julian was shivering. Anne picked up the blazer she had brought and gave it to him to dry himself with. Dick looked hurriedly over the raft. There were certainly bits and pieces of rope sticking out here and there, some of it half rotten, and a short length was tucked into a space between two planks of the raft. It was much too short, though, and surely the other bits and pieces would never join to make a long enough rope. The bits of rope we've got won't do, Julian, said Dick. Julian was drying himself and looking towards the end of the lake where two trees stood. He was frowning. The others looked too. The boat had reached the bank there and had been pulled up. One of the couple, the children couldn't see which, was standing up on the bank and something was glinting in the sun, something he or she was holding. See that glint, said Julian. Well, that's either Maggie or Dirty Dick using field glasses. They're going to keep an eye on us while we're here, just to make sure we don't suddenly spot the boat, I suppose. They don't guess we've already found it. I bet they were worried when they saw I'd taken a header into the water just over the sunken boat. Oh, so that's what the flash is, said George. The glint of field glasses. Yes, they're watching us. Blow. That will put an end to us trying to haul up the loot, Jew. They'd see it and wait for us. Yes, no good trying for that now, said Julian. Anyway, as Dick says, we've not got enough rope. We'll have to get some from the boathouse. But when do you propose to get the bag out of the sunken boat? asked Dick. They'll keep those field glasses on us, even if we go out again this afternoon. There's only one time to go when they won't have their glasses watching us, said Julian, beginning to dress himself very rapidly. And that's tonight. We'll go tonight. My word, what an adventure! Don't let's, said Anne in a small voice. There'll be a moon, said George, excited. Smashing idea, said Dick, thumping Julian on the back. Let's go back now so that they won't have any suspicions of us and make our plans for tonight. And we'd better keep an eye on them too, in case they row out to this spot themselves this afternoon. They won't, said Julian. They daren't run any risk of us spotting what they're doing. They will be sure to wait till we've gone. And till the loot is gone, said George with a laugh. I say, I do hope those two wretches haven't gone and taken our food again. I hid it down in the cellars beyond our room and locked the door leading there. And here's the key, grinned Julian, holding up a large key. You never told us, said George. Julian, you're a genius. How do you manage to think of things like that? Oh, just brains, said Julian, pretending to look modest and then laughing. Come on, if I don't get warm quickly, I'll have a most almighty chill. End of side seven.
Hi guys, Kev here again. If you'd like to send me any requests, just email me at nonstopaudiopodshow at gmail.com. Bye for now. Hi guys, Kev here. Just to let you know, a new podcast will be starting in June. For more information, please follow me on my Twitter. Bye for now.